think at the beginning of this year, as I think I have in the past, um, I want to talk about hope. I think it's an appropriate topic for the beginning of, of every year. And I think it's something that comes up at, you know, the beginning of new seasons in life and new times that, you know, we have hopes for what will come, about the good things that uh, we will accomplish. Um, and I think it's appropriate, especially at Hope College, to talk about what this really means. Because, you know, a lot of times we have small hopes, like, you know, I hope I get through this Mass, you know, and hope lots of people show up. I hope I don't forget anything, you know, like bread and wine. Um, we, have, we have these little hopes. But I want to talk uh, today especially about hope in the grand theological sense. And I think that's really uh, important and appropriate. So St. Thomas Aquinas says that hope has, hope in general, so any feeling of hope, it has four characteristics. So he says it's the desire for a good thing that we don't have, that's hard to get, but possible to obtain. A good thing we want that we don't have, hard to get, but possible. And he says this becomes a virtue. This becomes something that makes us actually morally good people when the thing we hope for is God and eternal life with him. That that's something that actually purifies our hearts to have that, that hope within them. But Thomas also says that, interestingly, and I think very importantly, that hope is not just about the destination that the kind of hope that a, that a Christian is called to have is also about the means to get there. And specifically, that God is going to give us the help that we need to overcome whatever obstacles are in our way. And so it's this sort of deep kind of dependence on Him. And I think one of the, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this today, in addition to this being, you know, Hope College and the start of the year, is because I think more and more, you know, just even just in the last four years that I've, I've been here at Hope College, I think I've seen less and less hope in society. And I think in a, in a much more explicit and conscious kind of way. Um, and it has a couple of sort of different sort of manifestations or, or strains or ways that it manifests itself but I think really they're all about kind of philosophies of life that have to do without that supernatural hope. Without the hope that actually God is real and heaven is real and there's a real possibility of us going there along with the people that we love. And as God and I think religious practice in general have kind of receded into the background, you get other things coming to the fore. Two sort of, I think, kind of related strands, you know, that I pick up on that are sort of, I would guess, in the political sense, more associated with the right. One would be in some strains of libertarianism. You know, again, this isn't, I'm not talking about strict philosophy of libertarianism. If you're libertarian, don't hate me. But I mean, just in, in the way that oftentimes, uh, I think as a practical matter, that can be embraced as part of a philosophy that doesn't have the sort of grand vision of goodness that comes from God and his love for us. So it can be there. I think also, interestingly, in a related way, there's, especially in the last few years, the rise of sort of what I would call neo-Stoicism. 
And this harkens back to uh, the pagan philosophers of uh, the ancient uh, Roman world and the Greek world. And Stoicism existed for a couple centuries alongside Christianity. And eventually it died because Christianity took over. You know, it, it sort of didn't survive the battle of ideas um, uh, and the battle for hearts and minds. You know, Christianity won in a sense. Um, but I think Christianity's been losing a bit. And, and that's why I think it's back. There's this sort of renewed sense. And I, I uh, read a book a couple of years ago. I uh, got it from one of my cousins who was reading it. Um, can, I say this? can I say this book title at Mass? The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... It's a bad word. Um, it rhymes with luck. And... <laughs> uh, you know, and, and really, it, it, it was really interesting in a, in a, in a couple of ways. It, it had some, I think, very good, actually, practical insights, you know. And there was some worked into it, some, I think, sort of little psychological things that, that really do work. But the overarching framework of this book was a kind of Buddhist, Stoic nihilism. And it really ends with this guy sort of looking death in the face and recognizing that he has no hope and sort of choosing to go on anyway. And, and that's a strain that you see sort of pop up again in this new Stoicism, you know, this there's death, there's the end of all things, and in a way it doesn't make sense to go on, but I am, and I'm going to try to be the best person that I can be, even though in a short time I will be nothing. And then you also see sort of strains of this in... Um, atheistic humanism on uh, sort of the, typically the left end of the political spectrum. I just read a, a book recently by Greg Epstein. I, I talked about him briefly last week at St. Francis in my homily. He's the, new, um, he's the new head chaplain of Harvard College. And he's an atheist. He's an atheist humanist. And uh, apparently a very well-liked atheist humanist because he was unanimously elected head chaplain. Um, and you know, as, as I told the, uh, the students at Mass uh, last week, you know, I have my faults. The other chaplains here on campus have their faults. Um, but, you know, at least we believe in God. Uh, so it could be worse. You could be at Harvard. <laughs> Luckily, you're here at Hope College, where we have hope. But Epstein has this very similar phrase. You know, I think he has a very different sort of practical psychology and politics of, you know, the other guy I referenced in that, that book, uh, which shall remain nameless. But, but at the end of the day, it's the, it's the exact same thing. Like, we're all going to die. Everything we love is going to be gone. There's really no meaning to anything. We just need to, you know, do the best we can and be cheery along the way. And, and I think what, what, what all of this sort of relates back to, and, and again, these are, these are all people who have articulated a sort of vision, have really thought about it, and, and consciously confronted this, this reality. But I think with, with the loss of hope and with the loss of faith in God, there are lots of people who are sort of confronting this reality unconsciously, and they're having to deal with it unconsciously. Um, and, um, and I think oftentimes in, in sort of... Uh, 
not with any kind of sort of positive, I'm going to be the best I can be, but in sort of very self-destructive ways. And, and the reason I want to talk about it is not to sort of get you down. I mean, the, there will be hope in this homily, I promise. But, but there, you know, we need to confront the, um, just the reality of the world we're living in. You know, I think there's this notion of, you know, religious people as just sort of being, you know, in the clouds, not in touch with, with reality. And that's not, that's not the Christian notion of religion, true religion, true worship of God. Um, it's, to, it's to really see reality as it is, in light of faith, in light of the love of God, but also in the light of, of human brokenness, because that's part of reality as well. So what does it mean to sort of to live in hope? What does it mean for you? If you want to live in, in hope this year, if you want to live out of that hope, you know, what, what does that look like? What does that look like? I think it means a couple of things. I think, first of all, it means a hopeful person is able to name and to face their problems and their struggles. They're able to name and, and to face their problems and their struggles. And you see that in the gospel. And there's, the, you know, there's a part of the, the story today. It's very easier, easy to pass over. Uh, it says, And people brought to him, Jesus, a deaf man who had a speech impediment and begged him to lay his hand on him. And I think there's a, a lot of hope contained in that sentence. So first of all, they name the problem. We have our friend here. We'll call him Fred. Fred's deaf and sort of mute. Um, this is a problem and we need to face it. And you might think, well, I mean, that's just sort of obvious. Like, what, what grace do you sort of need for that? And actually, I think it does require grace. I think it requires courage and it requires hope. And if, because, and you see how bad in the situation where we often do the opposite. So I'll give you an example um, I read an article by a, a, a Paralympic athlete named uh, Elizabeth Wright, and she was talking about terminology for the disabled, and, and she writes, please don't call us differently abled. I am disabled. To call me and other disabled people differently abled is to diminish what is very, a very real experience for all of us in our lives. Ableists may think that they are being positive and uplifting for disabled people, but in essence, it is a mask, a covering up of their own uncomfortable feelings about disability. And the people in our gospel today, they don't have any of those illusions. They're willing to face the reality, you know. Our friend is, is deaf and he can't speak, and, and this is a problem, you know, because we can't communicate with him, and he can't communicate with us. And that's bad because we can't share our lives together. So they're willing to uh, sort of name the problem. And I think that is, you know, sort of the, the first part of, of having hope. You know, when you have hope, you believe help is available. Because remember, it's not just about the destination. It's about the journey there, that God's going to help me on the way. So if I see problems... If I can name them, if I can bring them to God, I'm going to get help with them. And so it's a statement of, of hope to name those things. 
And those can be in a in sort of variety of things. You know, it can be uh, uh, an emotional uh, difficulty, you know, like loneliness or depression. It can be a, a physical difficulty, you know, um, like deafness or muteness. It could be, you know, a, a pain or some kind of disability, you know. It could be some kind of moral difficulty, you know, an addiction or a struggle in, a struggle in faith, a struggle with, with hope, you know, a struggle to love someone. And just to be able to name these things is, is I think, the first thing that people who live in hope do. The second thing is in naming these things and seeing them, we need to bring them to Jesus. And, and we need to make the effort to bring them to Jesus. That's the other thing about you know, these people in the gospel. And people brought to him a deaf man who had a speech impediment. Okay. It sounds simple. It's, one, you know, it's a half a sentence in the gospel. Um, it's, not, it's not simple. It's not simple. There are, there are no cars in the ancient world. You know, maybe, you know, they had a, a chariot or something, if they're lucky, a wagon, who knows. Otherwise, they're walking. You know, they're walking to bring their friend to Jesus. They're going to have to take time off work. You know, there's a cost to it. There's a financial cost to bringing this man to Jesus. And in other stories in the gospel, you see this as well. My favorite is the, the people who have the, uh, the friend who can't walk and they lower him through the roof. You know, I mean, that's... That's hope and that's dedication. So not only are they carrying this dude for, can you imagine carrying 150 pounds, you know, 5, 10, 15 miles, however far you got to get to Jesus, and then you're going to tear the roof off a building? Uh, you know, it's a lot. You know, we're, we're still sort of setting up for the year, and so we had our mass supplies over in, in Lover's Hall, um, and... You know, Alex and I were moving over uh, some stuff, and uh, you know, well, we need, we needed help along the way. You know, stuff was falling off the card. We graciously we had a parent help us out here, um, but it's like just getting a block with two carts uh, and keeping everything on it and not falling off was kind of difficult. You know, I didn't have to move a body, um, so I hope I never have to move a body. That's. Uh. So, so there's this work involved in actually bringing things to Jesus. It's not obvious. It's, it's difficult. It takes work. It takes time. And what does that, what does that mean for us? Okay. I think the first and most essential thing it means is honest prayer. Because one of the things it's possible to do, especially in, in the Catholic tradition, when we have lots of rituals, we have liturgical prayer, we have set prayers, you know, Divine Mercy Chaplet, and you know, we have novenas, uh, you know, you have the rosary, you know, the divine office, um, mass. It's, there are all these sort of set rituals of prayer that can help us pray, but they can also help us avoid God. You know, and this is something that I've, I've seen over the years. It's like, all right, well, I have these set prayers you know, to do, and I don't really want to talk to God about stuff, so I'll just do the prayer, so I'll be able to check my prayer box for the day. But I don't actually have to confront him and talk to him about what's going on in, in my heart and in my mind. And that's the essential part of all prayer. Whether, whether you're just having a conversation with Jesus, whether you're participating in, in Mass or um, a rosary or something, some set prayer, but to be honest with the Lord 
about what's going on. That's what it means to bring yourself to Jesus. And if that's not happening, you know, something's going wrong. And, and there's help that can be given by God, by other people. You know, It's not the end of the world. But that is so key. I think a second sort of very practical way um, of living in hope is participating in the liturgical life of the church, principally Sunday Mass. You know, coming to Mass is an act of hope. It's a statement of belief that something important is, is happening here, that I am able to do something for God. I am able to praise Him and thank Him, to offer Him my, my contrition and my sorrow. And he is able to do something for me. That he's going to do something if I show up here. And if I consistently show up here. And there's something about that, that consistency that's, that's so important. There was a study of 90,000 90, nurses over 14 years. And one of the results that was found in the study is that there was a noticeable difference between three groups of nurses. You had the nurses who went to church at least once a week. You had the nurses who went to Mass occasionally. And the nurses who never went. And the nurses who went sometimes had better mental health than the nurses who never went. But the nurses who went every week had a noticeably better, uh, noticeably better mental health than, the, than those who just went sometimes. And the authors of the study said... We think this is because of the religious practice itself. There are no confounding variables that we could come up with. It's not like if you go to Mass four out of four weekends, you're going to make more friends than if you went three out of four. So it's not more social time. It's, not the, you know, it's none of these other variables that we're looking at. They said it's just something about being there every week that makes a difference. And here's the reality. You're going to be busy this semester. I'm going to be busy this semester. I'm going to be here I'm paid to be here. You're not paid to be here. You have to make a choice. Are you going to be here? And I think the only way that you know, you're going to be at Mass every week is if you make the decision that I'm, I am going to value this every week, that this is important, and so I am going to make the time for it. It's the only way. It's the only way. And that's an act of hope, that if I make the effort to show up, God's going to do something. That's hope. And finally, to expect some change. You know, don't, don't predict, don't tell God what to do, but, but to expect something to change, to expect God to move. So enough of my talking. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask the Lord in your heart, Jesus what do you want me to hope for this year? 